Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, next week, I'm excited to announce that we plan to start a beginning new teaching series called The Parables of Jesus. I'm excited about getting back into the New Testament, and we're going to, we plan to spend the next uh, few weeks, seven, eight, nine weeks, probably going throughout the summer, looking at some of the parables of Jesus. So I'm excited about that. You'll want to begin, uh, be with us here next week as we begin that teaching series. But if you'll remember, if you've been with us for a while, last September we began a teaching series in the book of Exodus that we called Already Not Yet. And uh, today is going to be our last sermon from that uh, teaching series before we go into the, the series uh, on the parables. But uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 21 through 23. We're going to go through every single verse. No, I'm kidding. We're going to, go, we're going to cover these three chapters here. And as you're turning there, let me ask you a question. What if you were having a conversation with somebody and they, they said something like this, if, if the God of, of Christianity is so good, and, and if he's so loving, then why does the Bible condone slavery? Have you ever had somebody ask you that question? Uh, how could a God who is supposed, supposed to be so good and merciful, how could he have missed something and allowed and endorsed something that was blatantly inhumane, a practice where Human beings own and enslave and oppress other human beings. If somebody said that to you, what would your answer be to them? You know, there's a good chance if, if you were having that conversation, they would go to today's passage, which is found in Exodus chapter 21. I want to look at the first two verses here. They probably would go here, and it, it says this, Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. Who is speaking here? God is. God is saying what I'm reading here. He's talking to Moses. He says, set this before the people. And then he says, when you buy a Hebrew slave, boom, right there it is. Slavery in the Bible. What's, what's going on here? Well, you know, if you've been with us, we've, passed, we've spent the past couple of months in a sub-miniseries under the main series called The Big Ten, where we've been looking at the Ten Commandments. And what we've been teaching is that the, the law of God shows who God is and that he's good. Laws like don't steal. Remember that one? Don't kill. Uh, don't mess with your neighbor's spouse. These all reveal that God is good and righteous. But then we come to a verse like the one I just read, and a reasonable question, because we have 21st century minds, a reasonable question is that if God is moral, if he's good, shouldn't there be a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt abolish slavery? That's how the argument usually goes. And, and I, I plan to address that topic this morning about biblical slavery. But as I do, there's a, there's a couple things we need to understand. And that is, number one, these passages that we're going to go through are not primarily written by Moses to explain the ins and outs of slavery. 
This was written back in a cultural context where the, the listeners would have understood what that type of slavery was in their day. We need to understand cultural context, and we're going to look at that uh, a little bit more in just a minute. But the, but the point I want to really, as we're going through this passage this morning, what I want us to see is, what I want us to focus on is that this passage is not primarily about slavery. It's about God. It's about who God is. That, that's what I want to bring out this morning. And, you know, a, a helpful discipline that uh, as you're studying the scriptures that, that you can go through is, is up here on the screen. These are some questions that you can ask as you're going through a text. And I want us to ask that this morning. What does the passage teach us about God? In other words, who is, who is he? What is he like? What has he done? A second question that you need, to, you need to ask or can ask is, what does this passage teach us about us? How are we supposed to be? But what does this passage reveal about us that's wrong with us? What do we need to correct? And then the third one is, what does this passage teach us we should do? In light of who God is, and in light of who we are, what is this passage teaching us to do from what we've learned? And so I want to spend time, if you, if you um, we didn't announce this this morning, but we're going to be in missional communities this week. That's where we get together in small groups. I want to spend some time in, in these passages using these disciplines and going through some of these uh, verses and looking at who God is. Um, and the, the first, the three chapters that we're looking at today, 21, 22, and 23. These are known as the Book of the Covenant. And if you've ever tried to read through these books, these chapters, if you've been reading with us through the, our reading plan where we're going through the Old Testament, we have already, should have already read through these. But if you've ever done that, you may notice that it's kind of like reading through the Book of Leviticus. Sometimes it's difficult and, and, and our eyes can become glazed over. Because, you know, none of us, most of us don't have an ox that gores another, another ox, right? And, and so a lot of times it's, it's hard for us to relate to these passages. But these rules that Moses set before the people, we need to understand they are important and they apply to us today. Because uh, they not only act as a general guide and a moral standard for the leaders and the judges and the kings of Israel, and for us too, that these were used by them to judge specific cases in a court of law. That, that's not all they, were, they're, they're, they are there for. But you know what? why they're very important for this morning? It's because they reveal to us the heart of God. We're going to see who God really is through his laws. If you want to know who God is, one of the best ways to do it is to study his laws. What does he command? And this is primarily what, what I want us to do this morning, is to look at the heart of God. So I've, got, I've gone through chapters 21, 22, and 23, and I've pulled out some, of the, some verses, and I want to just look at those together using these uh, techniques that I've got up here. And we'll, it, it's not going to take us very long, I don't think. But the first one is found in Exodus 21, verse 16, and it deals with kidnapping and slavery. It says, whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. So in some ways, I already tipped my hand and, and shown you that this verse right here already condemns the type of slavery that we're accustomed to. If you steal someone and you sell them and you're found with them, what will happen? 
you'll be put to death. Kidnapping is one of those terrifying things. I don't know if you've ever had a child and you've been in a, a public area and you lost them. The first, most of us are like, oh no. The first thing that goes into your mind is what? Someone could kidnap them. Terror will go through your soul if your child is missing in public. And God deals with the, the, this uh, thing of kidnapping and he, he he makes it a capital offense if you kidnap someone. Exodus 21.18 talks about personal injury. It says, When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoor with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Shall be clear of what? Shall be clear of murder. Only he shall pay, look at this, he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. See what this is teaching? It says, if you harm somebody, you get in a fight and you harm that person, you, not the government, not AFLAC, but you are responsible to make sure that this person gets the proper medical care they need until they get better. Do you see how this would, if this would make you think twice about hurting someone? Especially in Israel, because they are going to uphold this law. They're going to make sure that this law is followed. Exodus 21, 22 deals with the pregnant and unborn. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her ch children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hid her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. You see how it says he shall pay as the judges determine? They have to bring this, this case before judges. They will take this law and they will look at it and apply it to the situation. If the babies and the mother are okay, the, the man will have to pay a fine. It says, verse 23, but if there is harm to the, to the mother or to the child, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. There's two things I want to point out here, and, and that's uh, number one, have you noticed that we're beginning to see the first uh, fruits we're beginning to see the fruits of isolation during the pandemic. There are a lot of babies that are scheduled for delivery in 2022. I mean, that is a good thing. And you know what's comforting, moms and dads, it should be, is that God cares about the mom. But not just the mom. He also cares about the unborn Child, And this law shows that women and the unborn human have rights under the Mosaic law because they, they both bear the image of God. The second thing I want us to see here is that, that uh, phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Have you ever heard that quoted in our culture? Usually that's, that's quoted negatively, implying that God is a merciless God that will poke out your eye if, if you've poked out somebody else's eye. Uh, I think it was Gandhi who said, eye for eye would leave the world a blind. I should have written it down. So, but you know what I'm saying? That everybody would be blind if we follow that law. But the heart of this law is not 
about retaliation. What it is, it's to, um, that the punishment for a crime, the punishment must, must not exceed the severity of the crime. It must be equal to it. This is, this is a, a beautiful regulation because it prevents two things. It prevents excessive punishments, and it also prevents excessive leniency. It's got to be equal. For example, if, let's say that you had a 1975 Ford Pinto. How many of y'all even know what I'm talking about? A Ford Pinto. This was the first bomb made available to the public. If, if you know anything about the Ford Pinto, you did not want a Ford Pinto because if it, was, it was known if you got rear-ended, the gas tank often exploded. Okay, so we always made a joke like, I don't want a Ford Pinto back in the day. But let's say that you have a Ford Pinto, that's what God has given you, um, and it's parked in Walmart, and somebody with a Tesla, that's what that is right there, backs into it and puts a dent in it. Well, this law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, protects both parties. It keeps the person uh, who owns the uh, Pinto from going, you got to replace it with that Tesla, you know, I'm going to take that. But it also keeps the guy that owns the Tesla from giving the guy a pogo stick. It's, well, actually, in this case, it, that probably would be better, but it's one of those things where it's got to be equal punishment. So eye for eye, tooth for tooth is a good thing. All right, let's move on. Uh, Exodus 22, verse 14, it talks about borrowing property. Man, don't you just love it when someone says, hey, can I borrow your... No, you don't. You, you don't? Well, sometimes you don't, but it's one, why not? Why do you not like that? Because you know they're going to bring it back broken. It, it almost always happens that they bring it back broken. Look at what this law says. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, so you, you weren't there, he, the borrower, shall make full restitution. This teaches us, you know, if you go to borrow something, you need to be able to restore it if you break it. And there's been times that people have come to me and... Uh, I've got equipment, some very valuable equipment that I used to make my living off of. I still do, actually. And uh, they've, they've said, hey, can I borrow your truck or can I borrow this really, very expensive piece of equipment? And I've asked a question blunt, uh, flat out. I said, okay, if you wreck my truck or if you can't uh, destroy my piece of machinery, can you replace it? And, I, and if they say no, I'm like, well, I can't let you have it then because this is my livelihood. Now, I have in those cases said, but I'll drive the truck for you. I'll go with you and, and be a part of it. It takes more energy to do that sometimes. But uh, we need to, to understand that when you borrow something, you are saying under the law of the Hebrew law, which is a good thing, I will take care of it. And if I do something to mess it up, I'll replace it. Isn't that a good law if you're the one that's letting it be borrowed? All right, Exodus 22, verse 21, caring for the alien. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Um, if you go to Leviticus 19, verse 33, it says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall not treat the stranger who sojourns, you, sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. Huh, sounds like I've heard that somewhere before. Love your neighbor as yourself. Where's, I thought that was in the New Testament. That can't be in the Old Testament. This is where 
Okay. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And then he says, I am the Lord your God. In other words, this is who I am. Look who I am. Do you understand what he's saying here? Remember, Egypt uh, was a place where the Israelites sojourned. They lived there. And what did the Egyptians do to them? They enslaved them against their will and made them do forced labor. This is what God's being accused of that, that the Bible condones. Look right here. He's telling his people, do not do that. Exodus 22 22 through 24, deals with widows and orphans. You shall not mistreat any widows or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. In other words, if God is very serious about those who are weak, those who can't provide for themselves, those who can't protect themselves, and in this case, He's talking about the um, widows and the orphans. He says, I will not turn a blind eye to them. When they call out to me, I will answer them. If you, if you oppress them, it will not go well with you. Is that not good to stand up for the weak? That's, that's what God is showing here. What does that show about us? It shows that we can have the tendency to take advantage of the weak. What, what should we do? We should repent and take care of the weak. Exodus 22, verse 25, deals with the poor. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like the moneylender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. In other words, the goal of lending money to someone who is poor is not for a moneylender to become rich off of interest. It's to get that person back on his feet. That, that's the purpose of lending money to someone that is poor. But I want, to, I want to go further in this. Verse, uh, chapter 23, verse 6 says, You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. In other words, if someone comes to court and they are poor, they often don't get the best lawyers. And so sometimes you can pervert the justice. He says, do not do that. But then look at verse 3. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. See, there might be the other temptation. The temptation that because they are poor, that you, you just side with them, even though they may be guilty. This, this, um, this shows us that God is saying, don't do this. Judge rightly. They're poor people can sin just like everybody else. They're not always victims. You need to look at the case and look at it individually and make a just judgment. In other words, this, this passage shows us that God does not show partiality. Exodus 23, 4 through 5, deals with our enemies. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, what do you want to do? If you're out in the field and you see your in, someone you don't like, their ox is going away, what do you want to do? Oh, well, there it goes. But he says, you shall bring it back to him. Isn't that painful? If you see the donkey of, of one who hates you, now this goes the other way. If they hate you, lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. What does that sound like? Sounds like we're supposed to love our enemies. Again, this is something that 
is often overlooked that the Old Testament does not teach that. It's only in the New Testament. No, the Old Testament, this is God. I want to go over these, this list real quick and look, what, what does this show about God? Pro, prohibitions against kidnapping and slavery, taking responsible for personal injuries, protecting the pregnant and unborn, borrowing property, being responsible with it, caring for the alien, caring for widows and orphans, caring for the poor, loving our enemies. What do these laws teach us about God? They teach that he is good. We've got to, I'm starting with this before we get into slavery because I want to establish this point very clearly. Our God is good. His laws have already shown that. Um, now, when we get to slavery, that's the question, but, but what about slavery? Because we've all been taught that slavery is always a cruel and dehumanizing institution. Is there any way that the Bible could be teaching something differently? And I'm going to say, yes, there is. And I want to look at that together. Um, because, you know, when we hear the word slavery, we immediately think of new world slavery that was based upon skin color and ethnicity. That vile, sinister system where millions of African men and women were kidnapped and sold into oppressive slavery against their will. And as we've been as, as we've been told, they have been brutally beaten, sexually violated, uh, some put to death with no consequences for those who were abusing because the slaves had no rights, human rights, at least not under uh, the New World system. And so we can, we can take the slavery that was practiced back in the Americas and we can bring it and read it into the Bible. And when we do, we, can, we will ask the question, why didn't God command Moses to abolish slavery? He could have easily said that. And that's where cultural context is key. Whenever we're reading the Scripture, we all bring into uh, the Scripture biases. And we need to try as best we can to understand the culture. And you know what? We're never going to totally understand the culture. Let me give you an example up here. Up here on the screen, there is a man holding a uh, VCR video camera. How many of you guys remember this right here? My dad bought, bought something like this back. It, ours was an RCA. You took the, the VCR. Uh, it was part of the VCR. It came apart, and you put it in this bag and put this, this belt around you with batteries, and you carried it around and videoed it. And um, you might be looking at that and going, there, who in, the war, in their right mind would ever do that? I mean, it, it's so bulky, but, and, and the, the video is grainy, although a lot of people are trying to recreate that now. But it's, it's so grainy, it's not clear. But, but let me tell you, back in the day, back in the 80s, that was the best way to record home videos at, at a time. It, it made sense to anyone that could afford this. This was cutting technology. Um, I remember when, when my dad brought that home, we were thrilled. Uh, we were grateful. We were proud that we had that. Now, if I was standing up here today with that, you would be like, what in the world is wrong with you? But imagine looking at that and going, why did they use that back then? If I was living back then, I would have used an iPhone. I hope, you, I hope you get what I just said there. Um, 
statement like that would show that you don't understand cultural context. And, you know, that was the best technology offered back in the day. And, and that, that's kind of what it's like when we look at the ancient world slavery and we try to superimpose our culture on top of theirs, um, and not understanding cultural context. They didn't have a lot of the technological advances that we have today. Um, there's a lot of things that, that allow us to, unfortunately, that allow us to live in isolation and don't need anybody else that, that would not have been available to them back then. Um, in other words, the iPhone had not been yet invented. Now, I'm going to get to the moral side of this because I'm not trying to gloss over anything. We're going to get to the moral side of, of this slavery. I'm not going to try to gloss over that. But they did not have what we have today. And there, were, there have been different forms of slavery uh, in the world ever since pre-Egyptian pyramids. Uh, and they can be found throughout history in every civilization, even amongst Asian cultures, African-American culture, African cultures, Hispanics, Native Americans, where they enslaved their own people. So this is slavery. We need to understand it's not just an American thing. It was a universal thing throughout the entire world. And it was an evil practice in, in many, many of the cases, especially when we're talking about chattel slavery. It, and it existed in biblical times. If you remember, remember when Joseph... His brothers take him, kidnap him, and sell him uh, for 20 shekels of silver into Egypt against his will. And he's held against his will in Egypt. This is an example of that, of that, that we can find in the scriptures. Um, so, but we've already seen that in Deuteronomy chapter 21. We've already seen in verse 16 and in 21 that God forbids kidnapping oppressing someone and enslaving them, whether they're a native or a sojourner. So these two verses alone would have shut down the African slave trade if, if those who held the book would have feared God and obeyed it. There were many that did not do it. And the Bible was used, yes, it was used, to, um, to condone a practice that is prohibited in Scripture. But that the Bible still used in this day and age to condone things that Scripture clearly um, condemns or prohibits. So you, you might ask then, well, why didn't God say, thou shalt abolish slavery? And I would say to you, just based on those two verses, he did. He did say that. He said, don't kidnap somebody. Don't enslave them. Don't treat them badly. But man's heart is hard and did not listen to what God has said. Now, when we look at Hebrew slaves, I want to get into more culturally what that, what that meant. Um, when we think of a Hebrew slave, we need to think more of like an indentured servant who had rights and who worked for a contracted period of time. Now, the, the Hebrew word translated as slave uh, can also be, uh, uh, it's the word, it's either um, pronounced abed or aved. It is uh, the, the uh, Hebrew word uh, that was a noun form of the verb abad, which abad means to work or to serve. And so there are those who have translated in other Bibles this word, instead of translating it aved as 
slave. They've, uh, they've translated it as servant. And in Exodus 21, the Aved voluntarily, and I, I need to point that it's voluntarily sold themselves to pay off a personal debt, and they were protected under Hebrew law. They, they had rights. We need to understand that. And we're not, uh, in chapter 21, it, it talks about if, if a, a master abuses their servant and knocks out their eye or their tooth, the slave goes free. Have you ever seen that picture of the uh, American slave that has all the scars on the back from the beatings? That was horrifically sinful, but that slave would have gone free if they had lived in, uh, in the Bible time, in, under the Hebrew law. They would, the, the master was not allowed to abuse the servant. Um, and it's, it's important to understand that the Aved sometimes was a, a criminal who maybe stole something and they couldn't pay it back, so they had to sell themselves in order to pay it back. Or sometimes they borrowed money and they couldn't pay it back, so they sold themselves. Or sometimes they just fell on hard times. And they, in order to eat, they, they would sell themselves. And it, it, was, it was not based upon ethnicity. It was not based upon the color of your skin. And again, I want to point out that it was voluntary. Um, back then, they, did, they didn't have a government welfare program to receive financial assistance. And so often, they would voluntarily sell themselves to fellow Hebrews to work and to pay off their debt in exchange for, for the three necessities of life, which are food, shelter, and clothing. And, and it may be difficult for us to, with our 21st century uh, ears to, to believe this, but uh, servants were often grateful to the master who bought them. They actually liked the VCR camera at the time that they were carrying because it was much better than anything that was available. Um, you, you say, well, where are you getting that from? Well, let's go back to Joseph again in Egypt. Remember when he was in Egypt and the famine comes? And the people come to him. I want to read straight from the Bible. Genesis chapter 47, verse 19 says, The people come to him, the Egyptians, they say, Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph, what, is he, what does he do? He, he buys them, and he says, One-fifth of everything that you produce belongs to Pharaoh now. And look what they say in verse 25. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. Slavery was voluntary in in, in the um, Hebrew world. I want to look, go back to our uh, chapter 21 and look at verse 2 now. We started with this. It says, when you buy a Hebrew slave. Now, let's stop there one more time. I just want to make sure. When you buy a Hebrew slave, what's going on here? That person has come and said, buy me. So when he comes to you and, and you agree to buy him, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. In other words, it's not perpetual, perpetual slavery. It has a beginning time, and it has a time when you're set free. If he comes in single, he shall, shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. Now, I want us to see here that God is for not just the master, 
but he is for the one in debt. Um, we're going to look at Deuteronomy 15, verses 13 through 14, because it gives a, a clearer picture of what's supposed to happen when the, when the servant goes out. It says, And when you let him go free from you, you shall, let him go, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. What, what does this demonstrate about the heart of God? It shows that God is, is for those who are destitute. And, and God's regulated form of slavery was meant to be redemptive and constructive. Not like the uh, New World slavery that only benefited the masters. This was meant to, to benefit both the master and the servant. Keep in mind that, that um, some found themselves in places of slavery because of bad choices they had made. Because maybe they stole something, or maybe they uh, handled their finances foolishly and landed them in bankruptcy or in poverty. And if this was practiced as God prescribed, I want you to think about this. Um, instead of giving handouts to those who could work for themselves, they were given six years to be under the tutelage and care of a master who could teach and train them on how to work and to manage their finances and then send them out with what they have learned. Doesn't this kind of sound like what college should be like? Send them out <laughs> with finances to start a new, a, a new life. They were being sent out for success. The heart of God's slavery... That's not the right word because that slavery is not what it really was. But God's slavery was to rehabilitate the individual and make them a productive member of the covenant community. And so, so far, so good. Everything sounds good until we get to verse 4. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall, now, what do we think it should say? Shall go out with him too, right? But it doesn't say that. Shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. Now, here's a side note on this uh, verse here. Back when I was in college, I saw this verse. And back in the day, this is not part of the sermon, so stop your stop, stopwatch with me right now. Uh, back in the day, earrings and nose rings and tattoos, they were not popular. They were rebellious people that did that. But I wanted to get an earring, okay? And I wasn't rebellious, so I went to this verse, and, I, and me and my roommate, we went, oh, we can bore our ear through for the Lord, and this is a sign that we are His, yeah. I say that because people are doing that today. Just examine your motives, right? What are you, what are you really doing? So um, I might wear my, my earring next week. Anyway, that's, not, that's how you take a, a passage out of context and use it for what you want it to be used for. That's not what this is teaching here. So again, to our modern ears, this sounds unjust, doesn't it? Um, to send the servant out without his wife and children. But I want to show you that unlike uh, pre-Civil War slavery, 
a Hebrew servant had rights. I want, I want to show you how that's in this passage. Number one, the master couldn't force the slave to leave. Do you see that in the passage? He couldn't kick him out. Um, but the, the servant did uh, have a, a couple of, of choices. Now, about sending him out, the master couldn't send him out and break up his family like was done, like, like, like we've heard in, in the Americas. He couldn't just break up the family. So the man had a, a couple of choices. According to Leviticus 25, uh, he could leave and then later um, earn some money and come back and, and purchase his wife and kids. Now, you've got to understand, the wife was probably also had given herself up to, be, to, to um, pay off a debt, and that her time may not have had, had expired yet. So he could come back and pay that off and bring, every, bring them back with him. And you might go, who would ever do that? Well, people do it all the time. They come to America. I don't know if you've talked to people, but I've met many foreigners that have come here, uh, and they've, my, my dad included in that, whether you earned money, they left their families, and then they brought them back over once they were able to do that. This is, this is something that, that happens today. Um, that, that was an option. Uh, he might think, you know, this, I don't want to stay under this master, or I could do better if I leave. So those are things that he would have to decide. Or he could say, you know what, man, I love this master. And, and I, can, I can see us serving under him. He's a good master. He's going to take care of us. And so that's where he stays. And you might say, well, that's very, why would he have to be, have his ear bored through? I mean, that sounds abusive right there. But, you know, what was happening was the, the master couldn't just go, he has decided he's going to stay with us. Don't ask any questions. You know, this was a very public ceremony that, that he brought before everybody. And the judges would be asking the servant, do you want to do this? I want to do this. And he would bore his ear and prove. It was, it was protecting the servant uh, from being held against his will. So uh, one other thing that I read that this may or may not be a reason that the, the woman, did, the wife and the child did not go out is was because it could be that it was protecting them to see, okay, this guy came in here owing debt. Let's see if he can go out and make a living. It would kind of protect them, and then he can come back and do that. So there's a... There's a this is not an abusive practice that's going on here. Now, let's go to verse 7. I want to do one more, and then, then we're going to close here. Uh, this is uh, one of those verses that is used often when they're trying to prove that the Bible condones uh, slavery and that, that um, God is bad. It says, verse 7, when a man sells his daughter as a slave or as a servant, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. I mean, this right there, if, you just, if, if that's all you read, I mean, how in the world could God be good? This, is, this makes God uh, seem very barbaric and uh, misogynistic. And the question that might come to your mind is, what kind of father would sell their daughter? And that's easy for us to say, isn't it, in a country where we have food and shelter and, and more than we need in most cases. This happens in... in third world countries all the time. A father who is seeking to improve the prospects of his daughter, daughter's life may see a rich man and say, hey, I want to sell her to you for you to take care of her. And, it, and the finance I get will help me to provide for the rest of my family. Or it could be a daughter who wanted to help her father and she said, dad, I'll, I'm willing to be sold. She couldn't be sold against her will. Even in this case, I'm willing to go and, and work. We, we don't know, but this is what the law is, is, is allowing. 
And most likely though, if you look at the whole context, and we're gonna look at it in just a second here, but most likely it's some type of betrothal. Uh, and even that right there to the American mind is betrothals. Oh, that, I'm not gonna go into that today, but verse eight says, if she does not please her master who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. So instead of oppressing women, this law was set up to protect the daughter. Um, during the betrothal period or during the time when she first comes into his house, if the master goes, you know, I don't like this, this, this girl. She's not serving well or she wouldn't make a good wife. He is not allowed to just sell her off to another uh, country. Um, she would be, the, the family would be given the rights to redeem her uh, from this man. Um, also, he was required to provide for her for her material needs. And if she, if she didn't, then in that case, he had to set her free. And in most cases, she would go back to the family that she came from. And, you know, there's a lot more in this passage and in these passages that we've looked at that I hope to, I can't do it this morning, but I hope that we can uh, sit down at MC or even after service this morning and talk about these things. Uh, I plan to do that this week, uh, or we plan to do that this week in our MCs. And if you're wanting to do some more research on this, I've put some links on our YouTube channel back down in the comments. There's books, there's articles, podcasts, and videos that you can uh, watch and read in order to kind of get a uh, dive deeper into this topic. But just in conclusion, I want to just go over, uh, summarize Hebrew slavery um, or servitude. Uh, they were, they had rights. It was voluntary. They could not be kidnapped against their will. Dehumanization, oppression, and physical abuse was prohibited. The terms were limited. They weren't for life. And it was to be constructive and restorative. What does this reveal about our God? It reveals that he is good. And, you know, one reason that we should not shy away from biblical slavery is because it is a picture, for those, those of us who have come to Christ, it is a picture of what salvation looks like, isn't it? Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, there was a time in your life when you realized that you were an indebted criminal and that you could not pay for your debt. And what did we do? We came to the kindest master the one that we were actually criminals to, the ones that we, we had sinned against. And we confessed to him what we had done. And we said, hey, will you buy us back? And what did he say? I already have done what's necessary. I have purchased you with my blood. I will pour my riches upon you if you will come under my, my, my uh, leadership, my, my household. And what did we say? I will. And I love my master so much, you're the only master I want. And I want to serve you. And here's the catch, voluntarily. Not because I'm afraid that you're going to beat me or, or do something harsh against me. 
and you will never do anything harsh against me. I will never have a right to leave. And every week we get to celebrate this uh, when we take the Lord's Supper together. We celebrate that, that Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself. How? By taking the form of a servant. The master became a servant. And he did a work for us um, by washing our feet. I want to read John 13. Um, this is the night when Jesus is, he is before his disciples and he's washed their feet. And he says this, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, I'm the king, but I became a servant. And I am a good master. And just as I served you, serve one another. 